Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are in a four-part series that's probably going to continue on for a while. Living in an evil world. There's a lot of material today, so it's going to be a little bit longer than most series that I do. Uh, I remember growing up and, you know, being sheltered in this great nation back in the... Uh, 50s and 60s, early 70s, it just didn't feel like the world was that evil. It just seemed like there was a lot of good things going on, a lot of blessing, you know, and, and I was always confused about a biblical worldview that painted the picture that the world is evil, that it's systemically dark and full of misery and confusion. You know, the whole world, as First John says, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. It just didn't feel that way. But you know, this last couple years, oh, everything is changing so rapidly. And the explosion of evil is just all around us. It's almost like the darkness that we find in many different countries has made its way all the way through Europe, all the way through uh, North, North America, down to the United States. You know, it's just systemic now and it's growing and it's accelerating and i just think to myself we live in a dark and cruel world yes there's points of lights but the majority of it is an, a groundswell of evil so i've chosen to kind of look at the life of daniel because daniel's living in babylon and I thought, you know, that's kind of our context now. In fact, at the end of time, at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 18, it talks about the people of God and where they're at. And it says they're residing in Babylon. And it's not a place anymore. It's describing the world system, that globally it's become Babylon. That what Babylon was attempting to do early on and got derailed by the grace of God has now found its momentum and is here globally, and we're called to come out of Babylon, to be in her, but not of her. And I thought, you know what? I'm looking at Daniel, a lot of fresh insights in terms of uh, how to live our lives in today's context. So uh, just recapping, Daniel and his three friends have been swept away into captivity in Babylon. There they reemerge in a very pagan nation and pagan culture in God's providence and providence is the working of God behind the scenes in such a way that people don't recognize it as God, except for those who are the insiders, his people. They're able to see the hand of God in the midst of, of what's taking place, what's going on. So in God's providence, these four young Hebrew kids, about 15 years old, Daniel's about 15, in God's providence, they are chosen among others to be trained to serve in the king's court. And through Daniel's faith, humility, and loyalty to God and his law, he gains favor with the king of heaven and with the king of Babylon, who is the world's superpower at the time. And as a result of this favor, Daniel and his three friends get promoted to personally serve the king of Babylon. They're not just going to serve in the court, which was just amazing in the first place. It was providential. They got chosen. But they get elevated, and they're going to become personal servants to the king. They get to be in the king's inner court, if you will. What's the takeaway? If Daniel could live 
and prosper in a pagan empire and culture without compromising on the commandments of God, so can we. So can we. We don't have to cave to the pressure all around us. We don't have to become politically correct. We can stand our ground like Daniel and his three friends and know that God is providentially watching over us and that we can accept his will as the right way to live and the right way to to interact in the world around us. So let's jump back into this intriguing story and discover how to apply the principles that lead to favor, which leads to prosperity. Join us as we look into this intriguing story and discover how to apply these principles that lead to favor and prosperity, even in the midst of a growing pagan culture all around us. And I know, I know people are saying, what, what? You know, there's many people that didn't see the miracles of God, didn't gain the deliverance of God, that were beheaded, that were martyred, if you will. What about them? (laughs) Instant promotion. Instant promotion. If you read about the martyrs and, and, and the glory they receive and the rewards, instant promotion. For those that are left behind that got, got the escape temporarily, right? There's blessing and prosperity. Either way, God watches over his people and death is not the end for the believer. So, so but I'm fighting. I, I'm, I'm, I don't believe I'm called to be a martyr. And I don't want to be a martyr. I want to be part of the crew that takes off the head of the beast, okay? But if God says, no, you're going to be a martyr, then I'll be a martyr. Either way, it's good. I'm good to go, right? But I want to encourage us in the midst of of the world that we're living in and give us some hope so that we can have some grit and courage to stand up like Daniel did and say, no, we will not bow to the gods of this world. So back back to the story. And uh, we find the lead story in chapter 2. Um, in fact, I'm sorry, we find the lead to chapter 2 in chapter 1. It's verse 17. Daniel 1.17. God gave these four men knowledge, wisdom, and the ability to understand all kinds of literature. Daniel could also understand all kinds of visions and dreams. And the context for this, is Daniel and his friends take a stand and they say, no, we are not going to break the the commandments of God. And so they decided they're not going to eat the king's food because God had given them some dietary laws and they weren't going to compromise it because they took their stand, which could have cost their lives. God gave them favor and as as a result of, of their stand and gaining favor with God, God then imparts to them wisdom and understanding. And to Daniel specifically, even the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Why did God give this gift to Daniel, right? It's not clear at this point in our story. But for you who know the story, God is prepping Daniel. Providentially, behind the scenes, prepping Daniel to influence Babylon, its powers, and its authorities. He's setting up all of Babylon just amazing how we think on the micro all the time missing the bigger picture of what god's wanting to do in our little lives god's wanting to do big things through our lives we're his people he wants to demonstrate his support for us through signs and wonders and his providential care 
that we might become influencers of those around us, leading people into his kingdom and with enough people bringing change to a nation. Yeah, we are the change makers by the Spirit of God. We are the change makers. And the bigger story, even behind that, you know, the backdrop, the narrative behind the Daniel story is that God is all about His people Israel and the role that she plays in world redemption. World redemption. Now to the story of Daniel in exile. Keep in mind this is very early in his journeys in captivity. Chapter 2. Let's read down through this. Again, for a second time, in a significant way, the king of heaven positions Daniel for another promotion. Verse 1. During the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had some dreams. He was troubled, but he stayed asleep. The king sent for the magician's the psychics, the sorcerers, and astrologers, so that they could tell him what he had dreamed. So they came to the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and I am troubled by it. I want to know what the dream was. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, I want you to interpret the dream. Here it is, and you interpret. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to tell me what the dream was. Yeah, think about that, right? You tell me what I dreamed last night. The astrologer spoke to the king in Aramaic. Your majesty, may you live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. Notice, they didn't answer the king. He didn't ask for them to interpret. He asked for them to tell him what his dream was. So they butter him up. You know, they they make this statement about, oh, Your majesty, king of kings, lord of lords, may you live forever. Tell us the dream. We'll interpret it for you. The king answered the astrologers, I meant what I said. If you don't tell me the dream and its meaning, you will be torn limb from limb. Your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and its meaning, I will give you gifts, awards, and high honors. Now tell me the dream and its meaning. Once more they said, Your majesty, you tell us the dream, and we'll tell you its meaning. The king replied, I'm sure you're trying to buy some time because you know that I meant what I said. If you don't tell me the dream, you all receive the same punishment. You have agreed among yourselves to make up a phony explanation to give me, hoping that all things will change. So tell me the dream. Then I'll know that you can explain its meaning to me. The astrologers answered the king, No one on earth can tell the king what he asks. No other king, no matter how great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, psychic, or astrologer. What you ask is difficult, your majesty. No one can tell what you dreamed except the Elohim, the gods, and they don't live with humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he gave the order to destroy all the wise advisors in Babylon. So a decree was issued that the wise advisors were to be killed 
and some men were sent to find Daniel and his friends and kill them because they were part of that group. They're just in a different part of the empire. So the edict goes out, and now Daniel and his friends are at mortal risk. I mean, you can see the setup. Chapter 1, Daniel's given the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And the king, he's going to have a dream, a game changer for his empire. Yeah, God in his providence has set the king and his people up. Well, Arioch, the captain of the royal guard, was leaving to kill the, the wise advisors in Babylon. Daniel spoke to him using shrewd judgment. He asked Arioch, the royal official, why is the king's decree so harsh? So Arioch explained it, uh, everything to Daniel. Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could explain the dream's meaning. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about this matter. He told them to ask the God of heaven to be merciful and to explain this secret to them so that they would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise advisors in Babylon. Verse 19. The secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision during the night. So Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise God's name from everlasting to everlasting because he is wise and powerful. He changes times and periods of history. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to those who are wise and knowledge to those who have insight. He reveals deeply hidden things. He knows what is in the dark and the light lives with him. God of my ancestors, I thank and praise you. You gave me wisdom and power. You told me the answer to our question. You told us what the king wants to know. Verse 24, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy Babylon's wise advisors. Daniel told him, Don't destroy Babylon's wise advisors. Take me to the king, and I'll explain the dream's meaning to him. Daniel, after receiving these gifts from God, acknowledges God, and immediately begins to intercede for all of these pagan astrologers and psychics around him who were colleagues and friends of his, even though they weren't believers. Daniel, Daniel didn't call down fire from heaven. What did he do? He pleaded and interceded that they would live because he wanted them to see what God was going to do. Because Daniel's plan, it intersected with God's. And God's plan is to save everyone, whosoever will. And so God has always given these opportunities. Our job is to intercede for the lost around them, us, not to judge them and condemn them, but to reach out, befriend them, lead them into this encounter with the living God, the, good, uh, the goodness of God, the love of God, the favor of God, the forgiveness of God. This is what we're called to do, and this is what Daniel is setting out upon and embarking on. Take me to the king. I'll explain the dream's meaning to him. Ariok immediately took David, Daniel to the king. He told the king, I have found one of the captives from Judah who can explain the dream's meaning to you, your majesty. The king asked Daniel, who had been renamed Belteshazzar, 
Can you tell me the dream I had and its meaning? Daniel answered the king, No wise advisor, psychic, magician, or fortune teller can tell the king this secret. He sides with the fortune tellers. He says what they already said. No one can do this, king. You're asking too much from these magicians, these psychics, these fortune tellers. Only the God who is in heaven, who reveals secrets, he will tell King Nebuchadnezzar what is going to happen in the days to come. This is your dream, the vision you had while you were asleep. Your majesty, while you were lying in bed, thoughts about what would happen in the future came to you. The one who reveals secrets told you what is going to happen. This secret wasn't revealed to me because I'm wiser than anyone else. It was revealed so that you could be told the meaning and so that you would know your innermost thoughts. Your majesty, you had a vision. You saw a large statue. This statue was very bright. It stood in front of you. It looked terrifying. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. Its stomach and stomach and hips were made of bronze. Its legs made of iron. Its feet were made partly of iron and partly of clay. While you were watching, a stone cut out, not by humans. It struck the statue's iron and clay feet and smashed them. Then all at once, the iron and clay, bronze and silver and gold were smashed. They became like husks on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind carried them away. Not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a large mountain, which filled the whole world. This is the dream. Now, we'll tell you its meaning. Batter up, Daniel, home run, out of the park, tells the king what he dreamed, you know, a night or two before this. It's amazing. You can imagine the king. What do you think the king's thinking? The king's thinking, you know what? The gods are among us. You know, when the astrologer said the gods don't live in our realm, they're right. But this God has come into our realm because he has revealed, I haven't... I haven't shared with anyone my dream. No one knows my dream. How does Daniel know? Other than it had to be revealed by his God. Verse 37, Majesty, you are the greatest king. The God of heaven has given you a kingdom. He has given you power, strength, and honor. He has given you control over people, wild animals, and birds wherever they live. He has made you ruler of them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to power after you. Then there will be a third kingdom, a kingdom of bronze, and that one will rule the whole world. There will also be a fourth kingdom. It will be as strong as iron. Iron smashes and shatters everything. As iron crushes things, this fourth kingdom will smash and crush all other kingdoms. You also saw the feet and toes. They were partly potter's clay and partly iron. This means that there will be a divided kingdom, which has some of the firmness of iron. As you saw, iron was mixed with clay. The toes were partly of iron and partly of clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong, part will be brittle. As you saw, iron was mixed with clay, so the two parts of the kingdom will mix by intermarrying, but they will not hold together any more than iron can mix with clay. At the time of those kings, the God of heaven will establish a kingdom. At the time of those kings, in the days of the kings of the fourth empire, which is Rome. In the days of the kings of Rome, it's in that time 
that he will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No other people will be permitted to rule it. It will smash all other kingdoms and put an end to them, but it will be established forever. This is the stone that you saw cut out from a mountain, not by humans. It smashed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and gold. The great God has told you what will happen in your future, your majesty. The dream is true, and you can trust that this is its meaning. Verses 46 through 47. King Nebuchadnezzar immediately bowed down on the ground in front of Daniel. The king of Babylon, the fearless, fierce king of Babylon, bows before a Hebrew slave, this this Hebrew young man, probably still in his teens, Daniel, bows. Can you think for a moment what that would look like, right? Immediately bows to the ground in front of Daniel. He ordered that gifts and offerings be given to Daniel. The king said to Daniel, your God is truly the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. He can reveal secrets because you were able to reveal this secret. Oh, happy day. Second promotion. This one's a biggie. Can you imagine all the powers and authorities around the king as he bows to Daniel? They're taking note. They're all looking at Daniel. This is a game changer in the story. Verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many wonderful gifts. Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel governor of the whole province of Babylon, the head of all of Babylon's wise advisors. This is like Joseph rising in Egypt. This is Daniel rising in Babylon. We see the people of God rising over and over and over through these shifting empires that come and go. God is a God who protects and preserves his people. I want to dispel the fear of the future. I want to dispel all of those that run around and say, you know, the the seven-headed beast of, of whatever is coming out of the caves of Bora Bora. The Antichrist is probably running around right now in diapers in Iran. We've got to buy biscuits from the Mormons and water from the Catholics and hide out in caves. It's going to be terrible. No, I want us to look at what God has done with his people in these very same circumstances in which antichrists arise in power and how he preserves them providentially through the midst of their rise and fall. We are the children of the king. We win the ultimate battle in the end. We lose a few along the way. We win a few along the way. But the war in the end, we're triumphant. If we die, we die. But we need to rush to the front line. I ain't hiding out. Give me a sword and tell me where the front lines are. I remember playing paintball. We used to, we used to play paintball like almost weekly over the summers early on because we were preparing for battle. And uh, so we're up there. I remember I was in my first paintball match with another team, and I'm, I said to myself, okay, pretend the bullets are real. I mean, just get it in your head. These are, this is real. I want to I kind of recreate what that would be like, you know? So I'm thinking, okay, you know, 
real bullets, real war, you know. So I'm slinking around in the grass, laying low, you know, being really careful. And, and I, I got a sight on one of the team members who didn't even know I had a sight on her. She was the number one target shooter in NATO in one year over in Europe. She was ex-military. I thought, man, I'm a, I'm a shooter, you know. So I shot, and my gun misfired, and the thing made a funny sound, and it rolled down the barrel. You could hear it. And it, like, it just dropped out. And so I, I, I came up to look at what happened, and when I came up to look at what happened, she had already heard that funny sound. I looked up to what happened. She shot me square in the head, which helped me understand why she was the number one shooter in the NATO contest in that year or whatever. But I thought to myself, man, I'm five minutes in the game, and I'm dead. But you know what? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If God calls us to battle in the future, you know, and I'm not about any type of violence in any way whatsoever, unless God's doing something that says this is a war, and under war, the Torah uh, uh, has different laws related to that, right? If I rush to the front line and I'm killed in the first five minutes, so what? At least I was there, you know? <laughs> At least I rose for the occasion, because we're called, we're called to push hell back. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell cannot withstand us. We're invading hell's territory and taking and plundering by bringing souls into the kingdom, right? So that's what we're called to do. Not run and hide, but run to the front lines. All right, so praise God. Okay. With the king's permission, verse 49, Daniel appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to govern the province of Babylon. But Daniel stayed at the king's court. After all the promotions, Daniel does it again. He's constantly appealing to the king and saying, hey, could we maybe tweak this a little bit? You know, he's bold as a lion, but not arrogant, not arrogant. He appeals to the king. He says, you know what? Thank you for all these promotions, but could you give this promotion to my three friends? Let them govern Babylon. I'll stay at the king's side. It's a great move on Daniel's part. It's a great move. We got to thank God, what are you doing and what do you want? And then appeal to our authorities so that we can do what God's called us to do. So in conclusion and application, God is sovereign over the nations. We see his providence in the founding and establishing of even our country. We have seen his works throughout our history. I believe the best is yet to come. He judges and uproots evil within our borders. He might even uproot the entire nation if he needs to. But he's the one that's sovereign over it. So fear not. Hang on, right? Stay in your seats until the ride comes to a complete stop. But enjoy the ride. It's going to be wild. Signs and wonders. Providence, just like in our beginning and throughout our history, we're going to see it over and over and over. You say, what about the other nations? I'm not a part of the other nations. But if I was, I'd be asking God for the same things. Because God is after redeeming all the nations, not just ours. He's at work in all the nations, not just ours. We're to join hands with the believers around the world to advance the kingdom of Messiah who's taking the nations back for his glory. They were his inheritance from the beginning and he is, he's going to claim and retake that which is his. Okay, so in his providence, he can preserve us, his people, in times of great judgment. 
and judgment's building all around it. It's been here for quite a while, and it's building. I want to remind you of the words of Jesus in John 17, verse 15. Jesus said, Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but, you, but that you keep them from the evil one. Not asking for the rapture. I'm not looking for the escape route. Jesus is saying, give that up. You're not cowards. You're warriors. I've already prayed that the Father keeps you in the world, that he keeps you away from the evil one while you're in the world. This is God's preservation of his people. Like Daniel, we can persevere if we keep our faith in God and stay faithful and loyal to his law. Revelation 14, 12. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Our maxim in the harvest is threefold. Embrace truth, live truth, share truth. And this starts, this whole journey of truth, with an encounter with the truth, the source of all truth. It's Jesus, Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is where our journey begins. Faith in his Son, Jesus, the Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords. Embrace him as your Savior and your Lord. Begin your journey. Join with us in this journey, right? And then go forward in obeying and walking in his ways. Become the best version of yourself through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Just Allow him to do that work and become the best version of yourself. Become kind and compassionate. Become understanding with, uh, become, become good friends and good siblings, right? Become good husbands and good fathers, good wives and good mothers. Become the best employers and the best employees that we can be. Become the best in what God has called us to do. Become the best in sharing with others who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Become the best students, the best mentors, the best teachers. Become the best leaders, the best pastors, the best elders. Become the best representatives. Whatever you're called to be and to do, be the best by the power of God's spirit and allow him to use you to influence those all around you. And I'm out of time, but I wanted to talk a little bit about holiness, but I'll push it forward to next week. But suffice it to say, you are the children of God. You have the favor of God. You ask him for what you need. Been influenced. Enjoyed the journey of being used by God in, in just amazing ways in your contexts. Amen? Shabbat shalom.